So uh, speaking of bringing up challenges, on Monday when I sat down to think about what I wanted to share this week, I sat down on um, the couch in my, my kind of little bin study place that I do most of my work. And oh, all that was present, um, speaking again of the wanting creature, um, was, oh, I was just mad. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was as if I had gone to the stove pulled out a pot, filled it up with water, put it on the stove and cranked it onto power and the pot was boiling. So if you want to know what my innards were like when I sat down to think about what am I going to share in the community group this week? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not like we can decide to lead mindfulness groups and magically um, turn off the, all of life. It doesn't work that way. So when I sat down realizing this pot was just on power boil, that's what needed attention. And the first step was just to sit with, oh, I haven't really reckoned with how mad I am right in this moment. So I opened to the question of, and so what does this need? And literally, instantly. It needs the chino. I don't know how many of y'all know the story or know of the stories. There are a bunch of them about chinos. Um, but I love stories. A really good story helps me in the same way poetry um, or a quote that just gets it helps me find my footing with being human with the whole that's going on. So chinos are uh, Native American monsters, cannibals, giant cannibals, human eating giant cannibals with sharp teeth and shards of ice for their heart. <laughs> and that's what came to mind when I sat down on the couch. And my favorite, um, like I say, there are lots of versions of these stories, but my favorite comes from Joseph and I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with him, profoundly beautiful Native American storyteller and um, uh, kind of heritage preserver. Uh, so he's done an enormous amount of work in uh, writing down a lot of stories from uh, his tribe and, and a lot more. So I knew that I wanted the version of the Chino, uh, the story from him. And I actually knew I had shared it not so long ago. It turns out it was April of 2020. And so I went to my computer, pulled it back up. And it was really interesting to see that uh, at that point, I was really sharing the story from the perspective of how to work with fear like how to be the one that actually comes face to face with the chino out there. Uh, and that's not where I was when I wanted the story this time. It was how to deal face to face when the chino is within you, <laughs> is expressing itself loud and clear from the inside. 
And, and again, that's one of the reasons I love these stories so much. One way of listening to uh, myth stories is hearing every character in the story as an aspect of yourself. And what does that character tell you about something in you? So 2020, the way I was looking at this story was totally different. Um, and isn't that a powerful story that its usefulness is there? So I invite you to hear the story from whatever perspective is most helpful for you. So this is Joseph Bruchak's version of the Chino. It's far northern, like, I, I can't remember um, how to say his tribe, so I'm not going to try. Um, but this is a, a, a story of the far north. So there were two brothers and a sister who, as winter was coming on, were realizing that the hunting grounds that they were in were sparse and that they needed to be able to gather more food. So they began a journey together into the far north. And they went further north than they knew any stories of their people going. And what they found was abundant game. And they thought, why do we not come here? So they set up camp. The two brothers would go out during the day to hunt. So the sister would take care of the camp and have things ready for them when they would come back. And after just a few days of feeling like they were in this land of abundance, um, uh, the two brothers were out hunting and they came across footprints in the snow. The footprints were two feet long and each step was 10 foot, each stride was 10 feet apart. And these giant footsteps were directed back to the camp where their sister was. So they knew why people didn't come up here to hunt. This is where the Chinos were. And with deep fear in their heart, knowing the Chinos eat people. Another thing I forgot to say about Chinos is they get stronger through consuming human spirit. They get bigger from that. So with a lot of fear, uh, they headed back to their camp as quickly as they could. Meanwhile, their sister was in the camp. She was in the midst of preparing a sweat lodge for the, her two brothers when they came home, when they came back that night. And she heard a crashing coming towards her through the woods. And she knew that was not the sound of her brothers. And in the next instant, this giant chino comes um, barreling out of the woods. And she can see that its next move is to simply grab her up and eat her. And thinking unbelievably quickly, she looks straight at the chino and she says, Grandfather, you are back at last. I've been waiting for you. And the chino pauses, kind of a little confused, and says, Grandfather, 
I'm no Letty's grandfather. And she says, of course you are. I'm your granddaughter. I'm right here. And this is the sweat lodge I have prepared for you. Go into the sweat lodge. I will bring the hot stones. They're ready. And the Chino is so dumbfounded by being met with respect that it goes into the sweat lodge and waits. And so she has the, the stones on the fire um, heated. She gets them as fast as she can, and she takes them into the sweat lodge with the water and pours the water on the stones to create the heat of the sweat lodge and then runs out of the sweat lodge as fast as she can, thinking that she will meet her brothers as the chinos in the sweat lodge. But as soon as she comes out, the chino says, more rocks. And she knows she has, she can't get away. So she, she um, quickly puts more rocks on the fire to take back into the sweat lodge. In that time, her brothers arrive. She hears them coming. And before they can say anything, again, really quickly, she gives them the signal, do not speak. And she says as loud as she can, grandfather, your grandsons have arrived. They've come back to welcome you. And the, you know, the two brothers are like, oh my gosh, as this voice just booms out of the sweat lodge, I have no grandsons. What are you talking about? And she says, but of course you do. They're here and they're coming into the sweat lodge to greet you. And she like, tells her brother, you know, gives him stones, hot stones to take in. They go in and they greet the chino, grandfather. They put the rocks on, add more water, more steam to it. They come out and again they think, now we can run off. But before they can run off, the chino's voice booms out, more rocks. So they get more rocks and every time they think, now we can leave, the Chino wants more and more. And they finally realize they can't go anywhere. The Chino is so big that it would take the Chino an instant to come get them. And so they stop planning to go away. And they just tend and care for the sweat lodge for the, ten, for the Chino. They build up more and more and more steam you know, kind of thinking, well, maybe the chino will pass out, but it doesn't. And they get it so hot in there, they can't imagine how this chino is surviving, still asking for more. And then they hear the chino starting to sing, this huge, booming voice singing this song. And there's nothing for them to do but stop and listen. And as they listen, the song, the voice, starts to get quieter and smaller and quieter and smaller and quieter and smaller. Until at last, the voice is that of an old man. And the flap of the sweat lodge opens, and an old man, their grandfather, comes out and says to them, grandchildren, you have saved me. And he does this big cough 
and coughs out an ice uh, heart made of ice that looks like a human heart that shatters as soon as it hits the ground. And they take their grandfather back home with them. I love this story. And I'm just going to share some of the things that come up for me with this story. And I really invite you to think about, you know, what aspects of the story might be helpful for you. For me on Monday, it was the chinum being met with respect. What happens when we meet ourselves with respect? few years ago when I shared the story then, it was about meeting fear. So I just really invite you to consider for your own self what aspects of the story might be useful for you. So so the first one I want to point to is the scary monster that grows larger by consuming human spirit. Isn't that just a truth? Just speaking for myself, my own experience with anger, when I allow its free range and it eats, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that getting bigger is absolutely consuming my human spirit in a way that really doesn't feel right. And we could probably go on endlessly about variations of this in our culture um, that feed off and get bigger and bigger and bigger, feeding off our spirit. And the second one I want to name is just the fact that they met it calling, calling the Chenna grandfather. So what happens, of course, we all have our, our Chenna-like moments. Anger is a normal part of being human. It's part of our birthright. What happens when we let it consume wildly what happens when instead we meet it with respect and that term grandfather is an elder that's full of wisdom what's the wisdom of the anger that was the question that really came up for me on when on monday when i uh, pulled out the chino story and thought okay I feel like this pot of boiling over anger at the moment. What's the wisdom that I'm missing here? And as soon as I turned it around in that way, not I'm mad at X, Y, and Z, but instead, oh, this is like getting me because there's something I'm ignoring. Turning the question around, it was just obvious. Oh, got it. I have not taken care of a healthy boundary with a particular situation. And because I've not taken care of a healthy boundary, 
of course that forest boundary got crossed. And as long as I'm just pointing and mad at, at that situation for crossing my boundary, I'd get nowhere. As long as I switch and begin to see, oh, this is actually a situation that I helped create. I set up by not having a clear boundary. And the work is re-meeting a needed boundary with love. That's the beauty of wisdom practice, when, of insight. When we really have clear insight, the whole fire just goes out. It's just like, oh, got it, done, I can see it. So what if anger were not, didn't have to just be a human spirit consuming cannibal? But anger could be the grandfather that has something to teach and that needs to be seen. The third thing I want to name, I love that this story names that the brothers and the sisters, they kept trying to get away. <laughs> you know, isn't that natural when something is dangerous? Isn't it just natural that our impulse is to run. That's a survival impulse. There's a lot of respect we need to have for that. And eventually, if we keep running and running and running, we recognize like Kachino is just going to catch up with us. And eventually, the work is not to get away, but to find a way to turn and tend with care. So when they stayed, what they did was offer care. Which comes to the last point of the story that I want to name today that comes up for me. Is in that tending, in that caring, a healing happens. So often we turn to what's challenging and we're still actually in a fight with it because we got to get it fixed. They didn't do that. What they tended to was create in a healing space for the chino. They tended to a sweat lodge, which has a lot of sacred holiness in this tradition. It is a place of healing. They tended to the sweat lodge without saying to the chino, okay, we will do this for an hour and then you've got to get well and we'll be done. They simply tended to it as best as they could. And the healing that happened, happened on its own, in its own time, in its own way. That's a profound teaching. And to me, that's probably one of the deepest gifts of mindfulness. It's not a fix. But what it does acknowledge is if we tend to the conditions needed for our healing, it will happen. We don't know on what time frame. We don't know when. We can't force any of that. The work is tending to the conditions necessary for our healing. And if we do that well, 
it is inevitable that healing happens. I just invite you to pause for a moment right here. Let yourself consider this Chino story for you. The angry animal. How do you relate to that in and of itself? The fear in facing the angry cannibal. In Buddhist tradition, loving kindness is considered the antidote to fear. There's nothing hallmark sappy about the kind of courageous love it takes to turn and face our monsters, whatever they are, big or small. The brothers and the sisters, sister, facing the chino. The healing that can happen in its own time when we tend to care for the conditions. That's something I can pretty much make a guess that everyone in this circle has experienced at some level or another, or you wouldn't keep coming back if you didn't know something about how this practice was opening up a space of healing for you. There's a line from the Tao Te Ching that says, hard and easy go together. Hard and easy go together. What does that mean? Thank you.